A reading from Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, maybe you're a parent or you've been in charge of a group of people and you've had this situation where you, you just hear a lot of noise and maybe in, the, in the, the cacophony of the noise, you hear someone crying and they're your children. They're not someone else's children, which you can just ignore, but they're your children. So you've got to deal with this. And maybe that's even your household, so you really can't ignore it. And so you, you, know, you burst through the door thinking all kinds of holy thoughts and, and then you can't figure out what's happening. And so you're saying something to the effect of, you know, wait, 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 just be quiet, hold on, just stop. All right, someone tell me what happened. Start at the beginning and just tell me what happened. That's what we're doing in our series in Genesis. We're going to stop, slow down, start at the beginning. And one of the reasons for doing that is because our world is like that cacophony that I was describing. A lot of noise, a lot of yelling at each other, and there's a lot of people crying for different reasons uh, in the world around us. And so uh, periodically you have to just stop, go back to the beginning, start over. Tell me how this all happened. Tell me what's happened till now. And so that's what we're going to do in our series. Start at the beginning and then move our way forward. This beginning Uh, in the book of Genesis, is the beginning of all beginnings, except for, of course, the beginning of God, who has no beginning. And going back to the beginning helps us to understand so many things. In fact, almost everything can trace its roots back to Genesis. Everything of consequence, every Christian truth that we care about that gets revealed in the rest of the Bible can trace its roots back to these early chapters of Genesis. And so we want to go slow through these early chapters so that we can get a solid understanding of the rest of these things. The series is called Right at the Start which has a double meaning. Right at the start, there are essential things we want to grasp. So we don't have to wait till the middle or the end of the book to get to the really good stuff. But right at the start, there's really important things we want to understand. And then the other side of that is things were right at the start. And then very quickly, they went horribly wrong. And so we want to understand how they were right and also how they went horribly wrong. Now we're going to take several months to work through the first three chapters of Genesis, because in some ways the foundational truths that are in Genesis are are so very abundant and rich and deep in these early chapters, and then we're going to go faster after that. This morning is in some ways the beginning of the beginning, the first two verses. So point one is going to be an introduction to Genesis as a whole, introducing Genesis. Say a few comments here. We did a blog this week. I did a blog this week uh, that has more detail if you want to get just a more thorough introduction to Genesis. But this morning we will do a flyover of Genesis. And then point two, what happened in the beginning? And then point three, what it was like in the beginning. So what happened in the beginning and then what it was like in the beginning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the marvel of your scriptures. These wonderful, poetic, thundering words which transform us as we give ourselves to them and submit to them and commit ourselves to them in different ways. We pray that you would transform us as we 
hear Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and the rest of the chapters uh, wash over us. We pray that there would just be a powerful transformative effect in our own thinking and our behavior, that you would, you would change our perspective where it needs to be changed and you would ground us where our perspective should not change. We pray, Lord, for the Rickards, and we thank you for their faithful service in our Connections Luncheon, but especially we just lift them up and their, uh, their uh, situation with Meredith and pray that you would bring a total and complete healing. We thank you, Lord, for the common grace of medicine and St. Jude's Hospital, but we do pray that you would bring healing. Uh, we pray that you would sustain them, sustain their faith and peace and confidence in you, and use this for wonderful purposes in Meredith's life. Uh, heal her and let her let this experience um, let her know you at a deeper way than she ever thought possible we do lift up our young adult retreat this weekend pray God your blessing on this group of people this this next generation of our church and pray Lord that you would bless them that you would speak your truth to them that you would sanctify and bless them and we pray for our time at, at, at Redeemer Church in Chesapeake and pray that you would just strengthen our relationship with them uh, we thank you for Trinity Fellowship Churches and those churches who are exploring Trinity Fellowship Churches. And we do pray for Chesapeake in that regard and ask, ask you just to give their elders wisdom as they explore a, a more permanent relationship to us and bless our weekend. Help me and Charlie and Eric, the teachers for the weekend, help us to connect well and to bring truth that is uh, according to your word and, and will truly bless uh, those who gather there. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, a seven-minute introduction of the book of Genesis, 50 chapters of the most important writing in the history of the world. Here we go. Well, Genesis is the first book in your Bible. That's an important thing to recall. The word Genesis actually means beginnings. The English word Genesis means beginnings, and our, our English word comes from a Greek word, Genesis, which was the original title in the Greek Old Testament for this book. Now, that is because that word Genesis gets used about uh, 20 times or so in the book of Genesis in the Greek Old Testament. In the Hebrew Bible, the book was based on the first three words in English, anyway, uh, bare sheet in, in Hebrew, but in the beginning. And so it's the beginning, it's the origins. So it's, it's, it's one, of those, one of these places where the title is a perfect title for what we have in this book. It's the beginning of all things, other than God himself. Now, we know Moses is the author uh, there's, when you get to, uh, Moses wrote the first five books, the Pentateuch, and the word Pentateuch just means five books, but he wrote the first five books of our Bibles, starting with the book of Genesis, and in the, in the next books, it's more clear that he's, he's writing things down as God reveals things to him in different ways. But when we turn to the New Testament, we get definitive witnesses who tell us clearly who wrote these books, so we don't, we don't need to wonder or um, turn to certain scholars uh, to figure out who wrote these books. Uh, we know that Jesus and Paul are sufficient witnesses to tell us who wrote these books. So in in, uh, Jesus' teaching, he says this, that if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And there he was referring to prophecies in in the books of Moses that were referring to Jesus. And then when you get to Paul's writing in the book of Romans, two places uh, from chapter 10, he says, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. Moses writes that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So that's a quote from Leviticus 18. So, so Paul is telling us that Moses wrote Leviticus, and then, and then Paul quotes uh, Deuteronomy. Later in that chapter, he says, But I asked, did Israel not understand? 
First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So Paul quoting Deuteronomy, saying that Moses wrote that. And so we can, we can confidently, matter-of-factly say that Moses wrote it. There are places where there's a later editor that inserted a, a city name or a, an editorial detail, but we don't want to mistake that for someone writing uh, other than Moses. It's Moses who wrote these. Now, one thing about Genesis is there's this very tight organization. So if we have a long book, it tends to be broken up into chapters. You know, you might have an introduction, a prologue, or maybe even an epilogue, depending on the book, and then a bunch of chapter breaks in the middle. And in Genesis, that's actually what you find. You find a prologue. So we're, we're starting into the prologue. Uh, verses 1, 1 through 2, 3 are the prologue. And then when you get to chapter 2, this phrase starts, and it, and it, and it finds itself about 10 times in the book of Genesis. So it's in 2.4. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So these are the generations of, and in Hebrew it's toledot, or toledot. So that's, so that's the toledot formula. That's, what's, that's why it's called that. So 10 times you get these chapter breaks announced by these are the generations of. So the next one is in chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in, in the likeness of God. And then skipping ahead to the next chapter break, we get to chapter 6. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And so then we get the story of Noah after that. So those 10 chapter breaks divide up the book. And so you want to pay attention to those. And when you get to one of those, you know that, oh, the next part of Genesis is about that guy. Sometimes it's about that guy's son, which is confusing at times, but basically it's about that guy. Now, then there's this other larger division. So chapters 1 through 11 and chapters 12 through 50. Chapters 1 through 11 are the the genesis of all things, genesis, genesis of the cosmos, creation, and the genesis of all nations. But then it narrows down when you get to chapter 12. And this, this guy, Abram, pretty much from nowhere, is chosen by God to be the beginning of a people. And so for the rest of the book of Genesis, chapters 12 through 50, you get the story of that guy, Abram, who we know as Abraham. And we see the developing nationhood through that one man. And that one man's heirs are identifiable today. The Israelites are identifiable today. Now, when you get to the end of the story, that man has a 70-plus offspring or uh, descendants. And so that's, that's an impressive number after several generations when you get to the, the, the sons of Jacob and their, and their sons. It's a, a clan of 70-ish people in Egypt. And that's a problem because Egypt is not the promised land. And we know that Egypt is not the promised land because back in chapter 12, we were told that the promised land is the land of Canaan. And so that tells us, oh, there's more to this story. Genesis 50 is not the end of the story, but there's more. And so when we turn the page, we get to Exodus chapter 1, and we see more to the story. They're in Egypt. It's it's centuries later. They've now become hundreds of thousands of Israelites and not just 70-ish. They're hundreds of thousands of Israelites, but they're enslaved to Egypt. But then God delivers them in the Exodus. And so Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, finally get to the, the end of Deuteronomy, and now we're on the shores of the land of Canaan. 
And God's people are about to go into that land that was promised all the way back in Genesis 12. That's Moses' contribution, taking God's people from the enslavement in Egypt to the shore of the promised land. He doesn't go in because God disciplines him for a sin he commits. He doesn't get to go in, but the second generation of Israelites after the Exodus get to go in. And so that's Moses' writing contribution, the Pentateuch, those five books. But the story doesn't stop in the land of Canaan. There's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of books in our Bible. And then there's Jesus that comes, the New Testament that comes. And then we get to the end of the story in the book of Revelation. And so what you find is that Genesis is the beginning of this massive meta-narrative, it's sometimes called, this story of redemption. So it starts back there in the, in the Garden of Eden, really before the Garden of Eden, uh, when God creates all things. And then the Garden of Eden, a sinless, beautiful place. Sin enters it, disaster comes, and then the promise of redemption comes. The promise of redemption is in Genesis chapter 3. The fulfillment of, gener- of redemption is in Revelation 22. A lot happens in those first three chapters. And at the end of the story, in Revelation 21 and 22, you get, you get this promise that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And God's people will forever dwell with God without any threat of sin entering the world or any serpent tempting us to turn away from God. But sin and Satan will be for, forever and permanently dealt with and we will forever live with the Lord. So that's the end of the story. We will be there. We will dwell with God forever. But now we need to go back to the beginning. What happened in the beginning? First verse. Now Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 is a prologue, like I said. And in this prologue, the first two verses are kind of set apart from uh, verses uh, 1, 3 through the rest of the, the story of the seven days of creation, or the six days of creation, and then the seventh day. So in this prologue, God creates everything and then he rests. So let me read the first two verses just so they're fresh. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let me look at some of these phrases in in this opening verse. First of all, that in the beginning phrase. It's not in the beginning of the 16th year of this king or that king. It's not in the beginning of the reign of so-and-so. It's an absolute beginning. Not the beginning of the year or the beginning of the month or the beginning of the week. It's an absolute beginning. It's the beginning of all beginnings. And And at that point in the beginning, God enters the scene. The second word in the Hebrew Bible, the fourth word in our Bibles, is the word God, Elohim. And that is, a, that is a name which has to do with God in, in his transcendent, powerful sovereignty. There's other names of God which highlight his nearness, his presence with us. And we'll see those actually in chapter 2 of Genesis. But God, Elohim, is meant to highlight actually this role of God. He is the creator. He is the sovereign creator of all things. 35 times, 35 times in this opening uh, chapter, we see the name Elohim, God. That's a lot of times, in case you're wondering. I mean, that's, that's up there with words like the and and in English. 35 times Elohim. So he, he is the star of the story. He is the, the centerpiece of the story. 
In chapter two, as I said, his more personal name is gonna be introduced and it's actually Yahweh, the Lord. Uh, Yahweh is the, the personal name by which he revealed himself to the nation of Israel. And so chapter two, you get Yahweh God, Yahweh Elohim. Chapter one, you get God. And so in some ways that, that helps us you get two clear pictures of who, of who God is, this God that created all things. He's transcendent and he's personal. Next word, and I won't go this slowly through all the words in case you're worried. Created is actually a significant word. It's not just what happened to happen, but actually this particular word only has God as its subject in the Old Testament. So we are never said to create with this word bara. Only God can do this thing, bara, create in the Old Testament. We can make things, but only God creates things. Now, in English, those words are, are, are more synonymous. But the idea here is that when we make something, we always start with something else. If you're going to build a table, you have wood. You didn't just say, let there be a table, and there was suddenly a table. That's not how it works. Somehow or another, you have to get some wood or some other substance and make your table. The Lord, however, is different than you. He can say, let there be a table, and there will be a table if he wants there to be a table. He can bara a table. You can only asa a table, which is that. Which is that. Sorry, that, was, that actually is a Hebrew word that means make. <laughs> but thank you for the credit for a, a pun, I guess. Is that what I did? The lowest form of humor in my... So that, that notion of creation from nothing, uh, it often gets this, uh, this, this cool Latin phrase, ex nihilo, uh, which means out of nothing. So God creates out of nothing. And where you see this, um, the other thing about these, this word is it only comes up in certain points in this creation narrative. And so in verse 21, there's another creation moment where God creates out of nothing and he creates the great sea creatures. And then in verse 27, it's, it's a, a definitely a, a central feature of this first chapter. Verse 27, it says three times actually, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Which is just highlighting the special relationship that God has with humanity. He created us in a way he didn't create anything else. We are uniquely made in the image of God and we'll study that later but his relationship to us is distinct from his relationship to anything else in the creation. And then it says that he created the heavens and the earth, which is just a, a biblical way of saying everything. He created everything. There's nothing that exists that doesn't have its source in God. He's the all-powerful, almighty creator of all that is. And all throughout the Bible, this, this is an identifier for God that's meant to affect us, change our life, change our faith. It's meant to inspire worship. Psalm 121 is, has one of the great phrases, and there's dozens of these. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's meant to provoke faith. My helper is not someone who has good intentions, but is basically pretty weak. My helper is the one who made heaven and earth. He's not limited in any way in his ability to help me. Everyone I know is limited in their ability to help me, but not God. The one who made heaven and earth is not limited in how he can help me. 
And so with, when we get to the, the period at the end of verse one, already a lot of views of the world have been destroyed. So for instance, uh, here's several isms that have been suddenly destroyed by this single verse. One is atheism. It's been destroyed. So atheism says, of course, there's no God. But we know from Genesis 1, not only is there a God, but he's the God who is behind everything. He's the source of all things. He's the one who made heaven and earth. Pantheism, gone. Pantheism says that the world and God are essentially the same thing. There's no distinction between God and the world. But what we learn from Genesis 1 is that is absolutely not true. There's God, and then there's the entire creation separate from him. He acts in the creation. He speaks into the creation. He has a relationship with the creation, as it were, with us. But, he, but God and the creation are distinct. They're separate. He is transcendent above that creation. So pantheism, destroyed. Materialism, destroyed. Materialism or naturalism would say that matter, the stuff, is the only stuff there is. There's no person behind the stuff. And what we know is that's absolutely not true. There is a person behind the stuff. There's a personality, a mind, a being that's behind all this matter, all the stuff that is. We'll study that more in a couple weeks when we think about intelligent design. And then one more ism, which may or may not be a, th- a threat to us, but which was very real in the time that Moses was writing this. Uh, of course, he's, he would be writing, in, in a sense, during that wilderness wandering as they're get, getting to Canaan. And so one of the isms, which would have been a real threat in his day, perhaps a little bit less so in ours, is polytheism. Polytheism would say that there are many gods. We happen to have this God, Yahweh, but there's a lot of gods, a lot of options. You do your thing, we'll do ours. That's not how it works. There's only one God who made all things, who is the maker of heaven and earth. And throughout the the creation account and throughout uh, the plagues in Egypt, Experience upon experience upon experience in the Old Testament proves that there is simply no other God that deserves that name. Only our God created the heavens and the earth. You can bow down before a tree or a rock or a stone and say, that's my God, which many people do, but only Elohim, Yahweh Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. He is the one you should bow before. And so already, God has revealed himself to us in this powerful way. We know he's eternal. There was, there was a beginning to all the stuff. There was a beginning to the timeline, but he was before the timeline. He started the timeline. He is before time in that sense. He's all-powerful. He didn't sweat when he created everything. He wasn't tired. He does rest in, on day seven to, to make a point but not because he's tired. And we know that he's, a, he's you know, as it were, if you can talk about God in this way, he's a mind filled with wisdom and intentionality and creativity. You know, as we bask in the glory of the, create, of the creation, John's going to lead us in the six days next week, his, his wisdom and intentionality and purpose in all things comes out. And so we recognize that he is, he is glorious. We know that all life comes from him. Life doesn't come from non-life. Life comes from God. He is the giver. He is the one who brings life to all things. He's the uncaused cause. He's the uncreated one. We know all this in verse one. Now, if it takes the rest of the Bible to really unpack some of the nuances of that, but we do know that. 
It's, it's, a, it's, it's a massive theological statement which opens our Bible. It's very powerful. And because of this God who was introduced to us, we want to, um, in a sense, you want to put on the shelf any thought of, you know, that's impossible. So as we, as we study the days of creation, it can be tempting to think, that's impossible. It's not, it couldn't have worked that way. It's impossible. But because our God, who is Yahweh Elohim, is the one who, is, who we're talking about here, no, it's not impossible. You get, you get a similar kind of conversation when uh, the angel Gabriel shows up to the Virgin Mary and says that she's going to bear a son. And in fact, it's going to be the son of the Most High. Now, Mary was enough of a scientist to know this is impossible. This is scientifically and statistically impossible. It could never happen because I've never been with a man. So she says, how will this be? Well, then Gabriel, the angel, tells her, nothing will be impossible with God. And so she rested in that. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so as we work through the creation accounts in the, in the weeks ahead, you just want to remember that, that God, the doer of miracles, is the one we're talking about. At times, he, he very much chooses natural cause and effect, you know, quote-unquote natural cause and effect, uh, typical providence. But whenever he pleases for his own purposes and glory, sometimes he just breaks into natural providence and does something miraculous. And we would say that uh, creation is one of those, one of those moments. All right, that's verse one. What happened in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth. Now, verse two, what was it like in the beginning? Let me read verse two. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the basic... Um, the way the basic narrative unfolds here is that you have everything created in verse 1 and then verse 2 tells you, in, in some ways, what it looked like when it happened. And so you get an earth, but in some ways it's actually the heavens and the earth all compressed unto this earth. And this earth is without form and void with darkness over the face of the deep. And so... And because the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, the, the image that comes to mind is basically a, just a massive planet that's only waters. It's, only, it's just a massive ocean. There's no form to it other than it's, 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 got, it's, some, it's something identifiable as the earth. It's got some kind of shape to it. It's empty of all things other than these waters. There's, there's no life in it. There's no life. There's no creatures. And there's total darkness and so all those lights in the heavens are, are not there. There's no stars, there's no sun, there's nothing. It's, it's simply this, this planet of waters filled with potential because the Spirit of God is there hovering over the waters. But it's almost like, if you've ever been on the ocean at night, this would be like that only entirely devoid of light. No light whatsoever. And no, there's no sharks in the water because... There are no creatures. And you would think that at this point, this is, a, uh, this, is a, this is a hopeless and lifeless situation, except the Spirit of God, you know, Ruach, Elohim, 
The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. And the only other time in the Bible that hovering word is used is in Deuteronomy 32, where, where God is described as an eagle hovering over Israel to care for, to care for Israel. It says that, that uh, God, as the eagle, flutters over its wings, over its young, sorry, flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, bearing them on its pinions. So that, that kind of attentive, careful, watchful uh, care that an eagle is going to do for its young, that's what the Spirit of God is doing over the waters. Now, it gets vivid if you think of, of how this creation account is going to progress because in, in, at the very beginning of it, where we are now, the Spirit of God is all activity, but the creation itself is this lifeless stillness dark, darkness. But when you get to the end of the creation account in, in day seven, well, creation is now fully alive. It's this, this bustling, massive explosion of, 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 of uh, creatures and beings and things, and God is at rest. So now we want to think of uh, these, these uh, seven days kind of in, in, as, a, as a whole. And I'm going to present a view which I first read in Francis Schaeffer's Genesis in Space and Time, very much appreciated. Uh, but then there's a Westminster scholar, Vern Poitras. He did a great article on this topic. And then Gordon Wenham is another commentator on the book of Genesis who has done excellent work uh, and would present a, the view that I'm going to present here. With, I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. And I won't explain where I tweak it because that's just getting bogged down in details. But to make sense of these opening days of creation, we want to look at two verses first because we want to see how this all fits together. It's not, it's not obvious how all this fits together, you know, in terms of a, a clear progression. But if you look at 1-1 and then 2-1, you get, you, get you get an important clue. So in 1-1... As we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you get that, that kind of the unfinished state of the earth in verse 2. And then things happen. And then you get to 2-1, and it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all and all the host of them. Well, if it says they were finished, that means there was a time when they were unfinished. So 1-1 is really the earth in this unfinished state. The heavens and the earth in this unfinished state. And then you get to 2-1, and then... It's in a finished state. God's completed the work that he set out to do. You know, in some ways it would be like, um, you know, a few, uh, several years ago, there was a, a massive oak tree that fell in someone's yard in our church. And so all the woodworkers in the church uh, c- uh, claimed their, their, their boards of oak. They're, they're part of that tree. And so uh, Tom Heck uh, hired a, a portable sawmill guy to come out and slice up the oak tree. And in some ways what you had originally was this oak tree. But also what was in that oak tree was a bunch of unfinished, it was a bunch of unfinished tables and chairs and cutting boards and cabinets and countertops. Well, it took a lot of process to get that oak tree to become all those tables and chairs and, and cabinets and, table and countertops. And so, so in a sense, that's what you have in verse, back in verse uh, one, two, is that, that tree in this unfinished state, but then it becomes this beautiful uh, array of furniture. Now, without form and void in verse 2, so it's without form and void and darkness is over the face of the deep. That's the earth in this, this unfinished state. And so as the days progress, you see that, that, that God and Moses together are, are revealing to us how this happens. And so the thing that is without form starts to get form. So the light 
and the dark are separated. So now there's some form there that wasn't there before. Waters and waters are separated. So now there's some form there that wasn't there before. The water and land is separated. So now there's some form there that wasn't there before. And then as, as, the, as the narrative progresses, it deals with things that are void. The void is filled. Creatures fill the sea. Creatures fill the air. Creatures walk on the land and fill the land. Things fill the skies. These, uh, the sun and the moon and the stars are created. Are, they fill the skies. So the darkness now is, is, is solved. The riddle of darkness is solved because now there's light that God has created. And once all that happens, once the void is filled, once the, the, the formless is given form, and once the darkness is given light, well then God says, and Moses says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. So in that sense, that 1-1, what happens in, in 1-1, is not a, it's not a title that you know, then summarizes what, what is to follow, but it's the first thing that happens. The thing that happens is God creates the heavens and the earth, but in its unfinished original state, it's in that, that form in verse 1-2. And a common question that gets uh, lumped into these opening verses is, well, when did this happen? How long ago did this happen? How long did it take, perhaps? So John's going to cover a lot of the, these, these details next week. Um, does the six days, but it is good to know that, so Moses is writing this, so he has some idea of what he's, what he's actually trying to communicate here. Um, and as a general principle, it's always good just to think, how does the Bible interpret the Bible? How does scripture interpret scripture? And if we fast forward to the next book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, it's actually very clear how long ago this happened, or, or at least how long did this all take? So in Exodus 20, this is in the Ten Commandments related to the Sabbath. It says that for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So in those six days you get everything from 1-1 to the end of chapter 1. Because that's the heaven and the earth. That's the heavens and the earth. And then in Exodus 31 you get a similar repeated statement also connected to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. You know, so once again, six days covering the entire span of the creation from 1-1 to 1-31. So I, that makes me think that day one, the first full day of creation had a lot in it, of course. So it would be 1-1 to 1-5. That would be day one of creation. And then the other subsequent days fall after that. Now, obviously, there's huge debates on all these issues. There would be many Bible-believing, godly Christians who would say that the earth actually is billions of years old, and they would appeal to verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 to say that the earth was formless and void, and then somehow, through some various processes, uh, became the earth that, it, that we have today. But I think that does, that does really run into those passages from the book of Exodus significantly. Now, when, what happens when you read the rest of your Bible is that it takes this for granted. So what we've, what we've said is that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He brought all things into existence by his mere will and by his word. There was no effort required for this. There's nothing resembling any typical cause and effect. So it's presented as something miraculous, wonderful, praiseworthy, glorifying to him. And not, not simply the natural outworking of plants and animals and weather doing its thing over a long period of time. 
And so you see this in a, in a place like Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Again, praiseworthy. What God has done there in those those early uh, verses of our Bible is praiseworthy. We should shout for joy because of it. And then Isaiah 40 this is the praise aspect, and this is also the faith aspect. So when we, when we marvel at God's creative activity, we, we're, called to, we're called to praise, we're inspired to praise, and we're also called to faith. And so Isaiah 40 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. It is just wonderful. It's always wonderful to gaze at the night sky when you can see the stars, and it's just always encouraging. And throughout the Bible, actually, we're called to do that. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. We're not, you know, checking boxes in a science test. You know, who did this? When it happened? We're being called to to loud, joyful worship, and we're called to trust. Trust our God. Have you not known? Have you not heard the Lord, your Lord, your God? Your God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I mean, as we we move forward in, in this book, we'll see that our God revels in science. Much more than science as a whole revels in God. Our God revels in how things work. It was his delight you know, to create all the intricacies of a cell and all the massive outworkings of galaxies. It was his delight. And so there's a sense in which he delights in people studying these things, these marvelous, wonderful things. God isn't embarrassed or ashamed of that. And all the people who do Examine all the intricacies of cells and the glories of galaxies should shout for joy in the Lord for our God created these things and they should take heart because our God is the everlasting God. He does not grow weary and faint. He delights delights to do these things. He delights to do the miraculous as it suits his purposes. And one day this whole marvelous but fallen creation will be transformed and, it, and God is going to bring down a new heaven and a new earth to this place and we will forever be with the Lord. And that new creation, that won't happen by some natural cause and effect, some evolutionary process. It'll be just when God says it's time, it will happen. Just like when the first creation happened, God said, it's time. It's time to create time and do this creation thing. So the new creation is going to happen by the marvelous, miraculous intervention of El Shaddai, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 
So our God, your God, my God, our God is the creator of the ends of the earth. He's the creator of heaven and earth. That's our starting point. All the things that we're gonna talk about, we need to start there. So because he creates us, we'll see that he is Lord over us and he is judge of us. So because he creates us, as we're gonna see, he determines what's true of us as men and as women. And because he creates us, he's the one to look to if you want life, real life. And because he creates us, your life only makes sense. Your life only makes sense in relation to him. If he's not at the center, your life will never make sense. Your future, your past, your present, your personality, your problems, your solutions, nothing will make sense unless he is there because he's the source of all things. He is the originator of all things. He's the genesis of you. Now, if you're not a Christian, I do encourage you to read Genesis. Maybe read Genesis and then the Gospel of John and then go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis, you see the, the origins of all things when you get to the book of John. It opens in the same way as Genesis opens in the beginning, except it goes into the story of Christ, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. But all of you should read Genesis. So as we're working through these, uh, this series of sermons, uh, the women's Bible studies will be in Genesis starting in January, but uh, maybe get a head start on, on the book itself. I know a lot of you have the, have the journals that were given out to many of the women those would be an excellent way to get into the book of Genesis and start just having a mind for who is this God who is revealed here and what does he say about me and the life he wants me to live. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in you as our creator, our sovereign creator. By your word, the heavens were made by your breath, all their hosts. You are the one who gathered the waters of the sea as a heap. You put the deeps in storehouses. We pray that we would fear you, but we do pray that all the earth would fear you, that all the inhabitants of the world would stand in awe of you, joyfully in awe of you, worshipfully in awe of you. We thank you for what you reveal about yourself, for we know that if you didn't reveal it, we would never know it. We would never figure it out. We would be without form and void and dark apart from your revelation, your intervention in our lives. So Lord, help us to lift our eyes and see this world around us and recognize this is your handiwork. Your fingerprints are all over it. We can trust the God who created these things and know that he knows our way. He will not disregard us. Lord, you are the everlasting God. You are the creator of the ends of the earth and we know that you don't grow weary, you don't faint. Your understanding is unsearchable. We will spend our lives in eternity in some ways, searching out your ways, but yet your ways will always be to us unsearchable. And we thank you as well that you have revealed yourself in your son, Jesus Christ, without whom nothing was made that was made so we see creation as this glorious triune act, Father, Son, and Spirit making all things. And we know that when we read of the fall, the horrible catastrophe of the fall, 
Right there we will find Christ promised. Our greatest problem already solved thousands of years before we were even born. So Lord, give us worshipful hearts, we pray. And as we continue in this series, just continue to uh, take the lies that we have believed and speak your truth. And wherever there's darkness in our hearts, we pray that you would bring your light. Make us worshipers, glad worshipers of you, our creator. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.